Wagwan, Miutes, the boys at Spiral Music are back to unwind with you. Lounge around while we discuss King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard in a Canadian blizzard infesting the rat's nest. Present you with three reviews and three recommendations. And we even put Sideshow Bob on trial. Follow us on Instagram at spiral.music and be sure to send us your thoughts for this week's Listener Homework Listening Club, which is Purple Mountain's self-titled offering. Listen, follow, and rate and like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us and unwind. Unwind, brought to you by Spiral Music. Oh, hi, Mark. The Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. Dan, 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 Hey, welcome to the show. Ha, you thought. Hit you with a Joe Rogan fake out. It's not, in fact, Joe. The man sitting across me is not, in fact, Jamie. There'll be nobody to pull anything up here. Instead, the lovely, velvet, dulcet-toned voices coming at you from Matt Watt Paul <laughs> of The Unwind, brought to you by Spiral Music. First things first, I wanted to just shine a bit of a spotlight, so to speak, we like to do a little bit of a listener wrap-up and give a bit of personal love to the Spiral Music community. And first things first, the good old USA, United States of America, specifically Chicago, coming in big. Not only helping us out from album reviews, Chicago-based album reviewer extraordinaire. Yes, yes, guess who's on third? Lupe still like Lupin the third. I'm acutely aware of Chicago's rip, rip, rich rap history. Chicago, big impact, but not only that, we had a listener from Lithuania. Matt, can you weigh in? I think we've made it. Yes, I think we have. Yeah, Lithuania is my favorite country, too. Baltics are just beautiful this time of year. Beautiful flag, yellow, green, and red. Real, real, just like robust, resilient people. Good you know, food, real, too. I see. Yeah, beautiful women, um, hardworking, industrious. Yo, shout outs to Lithuania. Shout out to our Japanese listeners. Shout outs to each and every one of our listeners in any of our 207, 207 countries. Is that we run the whole gamut here and we're open to all. We love all at Spiral Music. Come unwind. Listen with us. Follow us at spiral.music on Instagram. Listen, rate, enjoy, love, share, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other podcasting mediums. Join us and unwind for today's lounge around and relax. We're going to take you on a deep dreamlike journey wherein we review albums. Stay with me here. I know this is a little new age sounding. I don't mean to alienate anybody, but this is going to be more of a album review centric episode. And the first album we're going to begin with is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard Infest the Rat's Nest. That's actually a very seamless and convenient transition because the two mandems opposite me, Matt, hello, and Watt, hey, actually saw King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which is going to get more and more obnoxious to say, in concert last night in Toronto. What did you think, boys? It was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, we saw him at Rebel. Uh, they shout out to Rebel. Shout out to Rebel, uh, formerly known as Sound Academy, formerly known as the Docs. Um, just fantastic 
performance all around. Yeah, they covered uh, songs album to album to album to album. And they capped it off with just a fantastic jam session uh, that fused multiple songs together. Yeah, a whole 15-minute medley where it was just nonstop craziness after that. Um, I loved how they stopped. They started off with a lot of stuff from Infest the Rast Nest. Uh, like that album has such, as we'll get into, has such a crazy energy. And just hearing that live right away just really kicked off the concert in such a perfect way. Yeah, and everyone was in sync with it. Everyone was ready for it. Everyone knew what they were in for, right? Mm -hmm. It was crazy too, because even though the album is so new, like it already felt like just like a had its place under their discography. Like people were singing along to the songs. People were really into it. I'm glad too that they avoided a lot of tracks from uh, Fishing for Fishies. There we go. Because that album was was trash <laughs> as i think we're like we were talking about earlier yeah. um or most of it anyway um and it's it wouldn't have suited they played cyboogie which seemed uh fairly fitting for the show but i'm just over the moon that they didn't play fishing for fishies not that, a fan of that track no i'm not a fan at all like it feels like a, uh like a preschool song you know like <laughs> the wiggles yeah like the wiggles yeah. Well, the wiggles go hard i don't i will not have the wiggles disparaged on this podcast thank you but uh only bringing hits but yeah, all around, just fantastic show. Convenient transition once again, because as we sort of alluded to, Infest the Rat's Nest, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is one of our trifecta of album reviews. So to kick things off, initial thoughts from me are always going to be very ethereal, because I, I, I'm one to embrace the Earth Mother Gaia. So what she says to me as I experience music, is what I relay through my spiritual vehicle. So, right off the bat, I was transported to uh, THPS4 for the uninitiated. That's Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. 90s kids, <laughs> we out here, we made it. And that was full of all kinds of punk hits that I still remember and recall. And a little bit of thrash metal. They had, I think it was uh, Metallica's Whiplash on that. Mostly. Like, was that yeah. on there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, was, I, I wasn't really sure we were going with that, but now I totally see that. It's, it's, it's a song you could aggressively ride a skateboard to, do like a, a, three, a 900 McTwist or whatever over a helicopter, Tony Hawk's Underground. Yeah, we're, we're diving deep. Tony Hawk's old. I was all about the Christ air. <laughs> Yo, listen. Oh, I, I swear, I, I ripped the skin off my, th like the padding of my thumb trying to do a no comply in Tony Hawk's underground and you had to do it over some little gap. And for whatever reason, my finger was fat and sweaty and young and excited. And my finger, cause I was playing Tony Hawk and my finger slipped off the control. would kept slipping off the PS2 analog stick to the point where it literally ripped off skin. It was a gamer injury for us real gamers. But so I would have gamed hard to this thrash metal album. I certainly would have, if I had an Xbox and I could put in my own custom tracks it thought reminded me of Slayer. It reminded me of Metallica. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's totally what they were going for. Like from, it was funny. So they released the first single of this, of this album, Planet B, hmm. fairly soon after the last one. This is their, I don't know, uh, just to those who may not know, this is their second album that they released this year. It's like Fishing for Fishies was the one hmm. that came out earlier, and it was a weird kind of blues rock and for children album well, and then <laughs> not not all the way through no not all the way through yeah but there's like harmonica in there a lot of blues riffs and stuff and then this one here and then like the side boogie type stuff and then this one here this track planet b they dropped right after 
was straight up, yeah, old school Metallica, old school Slayer. And it just was such a complete left turn. People didn't know if it was... Oh, they actually released it before Fishing for Fishies came out. So people thought this was like a track on the album. So no one really kind of knew what it was. But it was a track actually for their next album that was coming out that they hadn't even announced yet. Like people thought maybe it was a throwaway. I thought it was just like a one-off. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, by this point, King Giz, they'll do whatever they want. And it's not surprising that they did a thrash album. But like, oh, it's great all the way through. I love it. It's such, it is a throwback to those old school bands like the slayer metallica megadeth all that but it still sounds very king giz all the way through guys are some genre jumpers for sure oh yeah had a chance to listen to two a great deal of their discography admittedly but from what the mandems have alluded to as you i mean you just go back seconds ago when you mentioned the the blues riff stylings so to speak of a of this offer of a previous offering and then for this to follow up with something that's just so unapologetically thrashy and as we've said slayer and metallica enough but just so clearly influenced by that it's maybe it maybe it has something to do and maybe a, a unique aspect of this album that i think is worth mentioning is that it's actually not the full uh king gizzard representation it's not the entirety of uh the the act so to speak it's actually was only made with vocalist Stuart mckenzie guitarist joey walker and drummer michael cavanaugh so perhaps this is a uh, an offering of those three and their birth you know their child so to speak i think this is one of the assets they have um as being such a large band with um i mean two drummers and um they can actually like split up and burden different aspects of the creative experience right sure mm-hmm. I wonder then if this was, from what you said, if this is only part of the band, this is maybe like it was almost like a King Gizzard side project sure. with, that was then released under the King Gizzard name, right? So it's just sort of like something only a few guys worked on. They could have easily released under another name, but they just released under King Giz because King Giz can kind of represent all these different sounds. Well, you look at their previous albums. You look at 2017 when they pumped out five records. Um, <laughs> do you think that every member of the band was in there for every second of the creative process? No, that'd been a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I'm alluding to is that the excess of band members can actually help push out the consistent content that they provide. Mm-hmm. Also can bring them to places that, you know, a smaller band maybe wouldn't be able to do, right? Because you have that many more heads in the room, that many more ideas, people with different influences, that sort of thing. Risk Absolutely. of too many chefs, however. Like, look at Slipknot, the guy that played the one big drum. There were like eight of them. <laughs> I wonder how much his creative vision was considered in songwriting. To Listen. be honest, though, there's probably a few members, like the guys who play the big drums probably just play the big drums. Listen, you're here to go bang three or four times and run around the fucking stage. That's about yeah. all you can expect from you. So King Gizzard, however, I think, I wouldn't say not un- unlike Slipknot, but just in a thematic sense to offer a little bit of a Paul skew here. This album certainly just laid bare its political leanings and was fearless about them. I mean... The, right off the did you hear like did you put together the concept all the way through i oh, remember sure. it being a concept beginning that there's a concept beginning to end that kind of runs through the album like it tells run, a story do you want to run through the concept Matt? yeah sure um so yeah like you said it's very political it's got um a lot of environmentalist messages in it for sure oh i absolutely but, noticed that but done in like a sci-fi metal album epic way cemetery of meat or something was a lyric i recall yeah should have written it down 
lot all about cl- like i mean the first track is called there is no planet, planet b. b yeah so essentially right what the, the story is it's about you know climate change on the earth re- reaching a point where the earth is unlivable um there is no planet b right the rich go and live on mars mars for the rich that's what that i was about leaving the rest of everyone else on the planet to die on earth um Elon and Musk. then there is uh a few songs the venetian one and two and perihelion which is about a few missions to uh venus where to try and like set up a new earth for you know hope for humanity the first time they spiral out into the sun the second spiral. time they burn <laughs> the second time they burn up in the atmosphere and then at the end of the album they actually go to hell and then they talk about rising up from hell getting the revenge on the rich so i'm thinking i don't know for sure but i'm guessing that's what infest the rat's nest means infesting the rat's nest so going and attacking the rich on mars and that kind of just alludes to that but doesn't really get into it very explicitly maybe in the sequel got titles like organ farmer super bug super bug is fantastic track by the way one of my favorites on the album uh it sounds exactly like span sleep if you like this this song the way this sounds and the slow like heavy rips check uh riffs check out sleep's holy mountain it'll be an album for you Matt's coming in big with the recommendations. Would you also recommend the vocals on that offering there, Matt? What of the vocals on this album? I mean, there were classic King Giz vocals. They were good. They were great. But it almost had that uh, that thrash metal sound to them, especially like on the thrash metal tracks, like the Planet B. I definitely got a um, Metallica sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The vocals as well. So, Paul, did you have any standout tracks? Standout tracks. Um, I certainly thought this was something I almost wanted to get at earlier. For as much as I could appreciate this album as a thrash metal offering, there was nothing there. I don't necessarily need the genre to be innovated by um, a guest in its hall, so to speak. But with King Gizzard and their habit of jumping around genres, I almost expected a little bit more of a... An identity, I think it just, in pure, purely in just like a listening sense, it was somewhat unremarkable, at least initially. At least initially. Mm-hmm. For as much as I wanted to play Tony Hawk, I was like, this, the, the, it would change and transition, and I was like, oh, it was hard for me to play songs, maybe that's my own ignorance. However, I did really think that Self-Immolate and Hell were very much a strong close. Oh, I thought sure. that they, yeah, there, there was a real ramp up there. Matt's looking at me, he's not so sure. He hears unremarkable. No, I mean, I guess you're saying that they... No, I'm just trying to figure I guess you're saying that they are, like, they sound too closely like their inspiration? Like, are you saying maybe, they sound maybe is, too, like, too like 80s a, thrash metal? Like Too much of a criticism, I guess, but we listened, um, uh, Mannequin Pussy was very much something similar in that, it, uh, one note, I suppose, maybe with intention, I, it, it, it didn't feel kind of... It felt somewhat like swampy. It, it was still something I was willing to wade through. However, yeah. I, I, maybe too much of an homage and could not be, enough could, like of an original take on it. Could be. Yeah. Maybe that's more what I was, uh, I guess, anticipating in like the brief background that I'd done this other tracks that I tried to uh, listen to and sort of what you would listen to with their stylistic choices. Uh, however, still positive overall. But again, just to directly answer uh, self-emulate in hell. I'll spin it and pose it to you, Matt, then as somebody who... Seated somewhat more well, what tracks sort of inform that 
largely positive reception the most? I really like, well, I really liked Oregon Farmer. I really liked Superbug, as I said before. Um, I also really liked uh, Parahelion. They played that one live too, and yeah. it fucking ripped. Like, it was great. It was such, it's, it, you know, they started off with a couple of, I think it was, uh, what was the first one? Self, Self-Immolate was one of the first songs they started, which is really good to kicking it off. Well, going through the rest of some of their other tracks, uh, by the time Perihelion came on, like the crowd went nuts. People loved it. It had such a great energy to it. Um, and it, that just made the show for me. It's probably my favorite moment of the show and probably my favorite moment of the album as well. So overall, I thought this album was fantastic. The playing was tight. I thought the concept was brilliant and I thought it fit together so well. I highly recommend this for any, well, thrash metal fan. I know there's not too many thrash metal albums coming out anymore, but this is definitely one of the best metal albums of the year. And also, I would say one of King Giz's best albums as well. It wasn't only King Giz, though, uh, who released an album this year. We also have another fantastic Australian rock band that released an album. Tropical Fuckstorm uh, released their second album, Braindrops. Tropical Fuckstorm is a supergroup from Melbourne uh, formed by former members of the Drones. Do you live in the land down under? That was important <laughs> to include. Go on. Uh, they are a, like a psychedelic punk blues kind of noise rocky band that released uh, one album last year, A Laughing Death in Meat Space, uh, which is probably one of my favorite albums of last year. This one here is their second. Braindrops just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, what would you think? Oh, I loved it. It was different uh, than their last, la like last year's album was barely contained chaos. Like it felt like it was all the songs really built to these climaxes. They used a lot of noise and distortion and all that. And this one was a little more subdued, I noticed. Yeah, they still came in with the crooked riffs as they're known for. And um, mm -hmm. one thing I thought was funny is there's multiple Looney Tunes references throughout. So they've <laughs> noticed that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good listen. So, I mean, it started with Paradise, which... Uh, was one of my favorite tracks of this year as well. Paradise was great. Like had this like slow kind of build up to the chorus. The singer's voice was very raw, like very kind of strained. It was like, it was very emotional. And then like the last few minutes of the track, they came out with this like chaotic jam session that really just like emphasized what the song was about, right? Yeah, yeah. Like um, from what I got from reading the lyrics and listening to the lyrics, like it was very obviously like a breakup song. Like it was about... A relationship that just felt not meaningful anymore one that wasn't going anywhere and then they decided to end like i remember one lyric says everything dies and that's the way it's always been so it's talking about this relationship ending and you really feel that emotion that build up into the end like where it got really chaotic it was definitely uh like a, there's that release at the end of the relationship no much yeah. like a much like a breakup and uh like as you alluded to thematically I felt like a great degree of the offering was very, again, in a manner similar to a breakup, passionate, very vulnerable, uh, degrees of anger, maybe not like a five stages of grief necessarily. but There's a lot of frustration. Certainly, certainly. A bit of an impotent rage, so to speak, and a lack of uh, autonomy or a true ability to... Uh, exert one's own uh, will, so to speak. And it just, yeah, just the, the frustration of just meeting that that resistance. And since in a lot of cases, it seemed in this self-imposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, it was uh, an interesting list. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of uh, frustration, it felt like, in terms of like the, the personal sounding tracks. But then there was also a frustration when the more political tracks, like uh, Planet of Strawman, 
Uh, one lyric I pulled out of that was, but all paths lead to nowhere and it all adds up to nothing. Like it was this, the song was about, like it, it kind of seemed to be about global conflict and how there's all these hidden agendas and how it doesn't really matter and how it, it was a, uh, yeah, yeah. I found though the rest of these tracks didn't really pack that emotional punch of the first track. Sure. I thought the first track was unique in that way and the rest of the tracks didn't really reach that same point, which was a little disappointing for me. So are there any tracks that you hold up to the standard of Paradise? I thought, like, I thought that there was ones that were good, but in a different way. Like, it was, Paradise was definitely my favorite by far. Um, but I really like Who's My Eugene. I thought was kind of a, like, it almost sounded like a, almost like a very kind of sunny song. Like, it was very kind of bouncy bass line. It was very catchy. But the lyrics seemed really dark. Like, it, um, it seemed to be about, it was another kind of song that seemed about personal relationships, but it was about... Uh, like a controlling relationship is what I got out of it. Because I looked up who Eugene was that was being referenced in the song. Apparently it was Brian Wilson from Beach Boys, psychoanalyst, who like they had a, uh, was kind of had a really kind of, kind of controlling relationship. And there was all these lyrics about pulling you up, pushing you down, pulling you up, pushing you down. Yeah. And it was, that's really kind of like, it was really dark actually. And it didn't, you didn't really get that from first listening to it. Besides Who's My Eugene, a couple other the tracks I liked. Uh, I really liked Braindrops. I thought that was a very kind of, it, it could have fit in really well on their first album. Uh, it had some funny, sarcastic lyrics, uh, and it just had a great kind of uh, driving rhythm to it that kind of was a big part of their last album. Another one I really loved was Maria 63, which was just a very slow, dramatic song. Maria 62. There's two. There's 62 what? and 63. Uh, I, actually, I actually love the chorus in uh, Maria 62. Ha. It goes, you won't remember me. You won't remember. You won't. You. So it's kind of like a play on like literal forgetfulness, right? Oh, I never put that together. That's really interesting. Wow, that's some insight there. Yeah, yeah. And Maria 62 and 63 really kind of, they're, well, I, I, 63, as far as I know, is like a sequel to 62. And its lyrics are really interesting. I I don't have them written down, so I wouldn't be able to uh, dive into it now. But it it, t it tells an interesting story about the meeting between Maria and this narrator who he's been searching for for so long yeah. and how she doesn't remember him, which was really, really interesting. So this album didn't reach the highs of their last record, for sure. Uh, it was a lot more personal and a lot less political, uh, but it's still one of the better rock records of this year. And uh, further shows proof that Australia has some of the best rock bands in the game. Between this and the King Gizzard album, just all around fantastic. Ozzy, Ozzy, oi, oi, oi. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, just for a change of pace here, we do have one last album to review. Uh, one in a completely different genre. We have Rhapsody's Eve. So uh, Rhapsody is a prominent female rapper from the Midwest. Uh, you may know her from her verse on To Pimp a Butterfly. She did the verse on Complexion. It was fantastic. Uh, she's gotten a lot of buzz from them. She released an album. It was a few years ago, I think 2016. Uh, Layla's uh, Wisdom was actually nominated for a Grammy. That was a great record as well. This one, Eve, I would say is even better. It's a very personal album. Actually, it's a bit of a loose concept album. Every song on this record was named after uh, prominent black women, someone who inspired Rhapsody and Actually, in each track, she channels their energy, which was really interesting to me. 
How would you say it stacks up against other hip hop albums this year? I would say it's it's it, it was it was awesome. It was a uh, it was a lot stronger lyrically, production wise, than a lot of albums this year. It's funny how two of my top hip hop albums this year are actually made by women, which are awesome. Like between this and the Lil Sims record that came out earlier. Yeah. But this, uh, yeah, this album was great. Uh, there was some great production. I liked how the song Nina actually had that Nina Simone sample. In my opinion, she did it much more justice, whereas Kanye's, I didn't really like how he used that sample in there on Blood on the Leaves. I thought she used it a lot better. That's a pretty sample-heavy album, eh? It is, yeah, for sure. Like on the, uh, the other track right after Cleo, they had the Phil Collins sample, which couldn't have been cheap. And then later in the record, uh, and Whoopi, they actually have a Herbie Hancock sample, which Ooh. I noticed right away. Uh, Watermelon Man, I think it was the song it was called. Very recognizable samples, uh, but the production was great. And it was lyrically great, too. Like, she tackled a lot of issues. She really covered a lot of different subject matter with that. And it was really about being a black woman in America and the many different facets of that. So it sounds like it has lots of strong points. In your opinion, what are some of the weak points? Um, I thought it was a bit long. There were a couple songs I didn't really care for as much. And uh, I felt she didn't have enough subject matter to really stretch 16 tracks. And there was a couple songs found a bit repetitive. But they weren't those weak points weren't really that big of a deal. Uh, it didn't make the album a drag or anything because the strong points really carried it. So what are those 16 tracks? What are some of your favorites? So, um, one of my favorites for sure is Nina. I really liked that track. I really like... If I may, the woman of significance, Nina who? Nina Simone. Oh. Yeah, so that's why I had the Nina Simone sample on there. Of course. And uh, I really liked Whoopi as well. (laughs) I really thought that chorus was kind of clever. The whole, they're going to make a sister act up. Like, sister act. It's not so bad. Yeah, My personal favorite Whoopi lyric has to be in the Immortal Technique uh, freestyle over in the club i want to say i don't think even. i've heard that one. Oh man he's like uh i just i don't remember the preceding bar but he's like uh let's just say you know i do it for my city and it's uh gritty i'll put my hand on a bible and tell whoopie she's pretty <laughs> i thought i was hard and worth the match shout out to whoopie goldberg holding it down sister act one and two go stream them on uh, i assume netflix amazon prime video do they ever make a third one they should they should they, they should. probably queen should. latifah yeah uh, but anyway, back to favorite tracks. Another one of my favorite tracks, I don't know if I can pronounce this right, is Ibtahaj. So this was uh, this was a great track that featured D'Angelo coming back if he hasn't released anything in years, and Jizza from the Wu-Tang, and actually is uh, features an interpolation of Jizza's Liquid Swords, uh, which is probably <laughs> probably one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time. I, I think you can find the review of it on our Instagram page um this this all yeah so she interpolates the chorus of it and actually ibtahaj actually was a name of a an olympic fencer so it kind of made sense with the liquid swords and uh she makes wu-tang references throughout actually something about this album was really great is she makes a lot of hip-hop references and shout outs so you do all over the album like in the lyrics whether she's uh using biggie lines or jay-z lines or shout outs to Andre 3000, and then the last track as well is called Afini, like Afini Shakur, like uh, Tupac's mom, and actually features uh, a lyric from Tupac's Keep Your Head Up, uh, Head which up. I thought was kind of awkwardly sampled, but was still a great track altogether. Wow, three worthwhile listens. 
You've heard his reviews. Join us as we get a little bit recreational. This is Matt's Rec Room. Thanks, Paul. So, Matt, you're going to break for us today. What's first on offer? What should us, not only us, but our listeners, listen to? So there's a few things I've been really into lately. Uh, the first one actually came out a few months ago, but it hasn't been getting a lot of love. So he's based in the UK, uh, but grew up in India. His name is Sarathi Korwar, and he's actually like a, a tabla drummer. If you ever seen those like Indian drums, those uh -huh. awesome sounding Indian drums. Um, and he released this album called More Arriving, which is kind of uh, fusing Indian music, jazz, hip hop, a few other kind of electronic sounds in there as well to create this awesome, very political album. Uh, that has a lot of spoken word pieces, has a lot of cool jazzy interludes in there. It's just a fantastic listen. Next, uh, another record I really liked was Blank Mass's Animated Violence Mild. So Blank Mass, who is one half of the group Fuck Buttons, hmm. uh, released, a few, uh, released an album a few years ago that I really liked. And this is part of that same sound. It's kind of very like electronic, in industrial. He creates these big wall of sounds uh, that is just fantastic to hear so i definitely recommend that one finally uh canadian noise rock band mets has an ep they just released called me uh, which is named after the gary newman cover it's a uh, ep of covers uh, it's a great album to check out as well it just has their classic sound well that had been a successful break six ball corner pocket or did matt go ahead and smack that eight ball straight into the pocket be sure to let us know your thoughts on matt's recommendations uh, by sending us a DM and maybe if your recommendations, uh, give us your own. And if we happen to listen and like it better than Matt's, we'll, uh, replace Matt with you. <laughs> you light it up, please give us your thoughts on those albums and your own. As I said, now come everybody is surely their favorite segment by now. We're going to get right into the nitty gritty. We're going to cut straight down to the meat, straight to the bone. This is Paul's, uh, toilet water certification. All right, toilet water certifications we've alluded to before. If you've ever listened this long, or maybe this is your first time, hello everyone from Chicago and Lithuania. Um, this is where we take a bit of an opportunity to give something absolutely garbage its due. And as a man who recently rediscovered my love of soccer or football, uh, I have a lot to say. I, I've it, it's it's never been easy for me as a fan nationally of Croatia and Ukraine. There's been very little to celebrate outside of the 2018 World Cup. Subasic, I'll still fight him on site unacceptable performance from a goalkeeper at the highest level at, at what was the peak of his career. It's a good thing you're retired because I saw him again. It, it's just, just issues. I'll come to Zadar. I'll come to wherever. I'm going to find you. I'm a That's a promise on this podcast. So very unhappy with that. Um, it's never easy uh, internationally. And it's uh, even harder. I, I don't live in England, happen to support Arsenal. And it's been a very, very long and arduous time as an Arsenal fan. We actually took it upon ourselves to highlight this week's clown and bring it to the attention of Matt, someone who doesn't even like soccer. Just for clarification, the toilet water certification this week is going to be awarded to Arsenal's new $10 million signing, uh, Sideshow Bob, a.k.a. Mr. 7-1, uh, David Luiz, David Luiz, long past his sell-by date in a manner similar to Czech Arsenal, eating up Chelsea's scraps and just... His, his deficiencies were laid bare. We showed Matt. He, he was skipped by as if he wasn't there, Matt. Would you not say as a soccer expert? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
Big hair to hair like that. You'd think he'd have a brain under there. You think he'd have some vision. You think he'd have some playmaking acumen. I mean, he can dink a long ball in there every once in a while and take a free kick. Uh, but for outside of that, what does 10 million get you? 10 million gets you uh, two uh, left for dead, blown past moments where uh, you literally let Mo Salah, who's just always on form, streak in. One of them leads directly to a goal. You also do... In the age of new soccer rules, goalkeepers not being able to come off lines, etc. Referees getting a little more card happy. VAR ultimately changing the game. You're gonna go and pull a guy's shirt in your own 16. It's it's just it's it's foolish errors. They're just a, a symptom of just a, a a player that's just as I said past it. Um, uh, had an experience at Chelsea, won a Champions League, lovely time there. But we also have seven one against Brazil, and I mean it's just a shocking performance. And you don't want to keep harkening back to that. Otherwise, just regardless, poor, constantly out of position, gets nutmeg by Suarez when he's at PSG. And again, the free kicks can only do so much. What is he playing, soccer or dodgeball? Oh, Matt, as a man who got nutmegged probably never eight times in one night, actually by a person's body, <laughs> the part of what, you must, you know what it's like for the crushing humiliation of something just putting it through your legs as if it wasn't there. And here's David Luiz having this happen to him at the highest level. A, just a poor performance from a poor Arsenal side. You can have Obama, yeah. You can have Lacazette. You can have Pepe. Yo, give him anybody. You need some direction. You need some structure, some cohesion. They're lacking. Wow, you got you got sideshow Bob to replace some sideshow act called Mustafi. Little there, little for anybody. That's just a bit of an aside. We've got international listeners. It was pointed. It was important. And with that, on behalf of Matt, Watt, and me, Paul, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being there. Thanks for being a part of the journey. Be sure to follow us uh, on Instagram at spiral.music. Listen, rate, like, share. Uh, say, hey, mom, look at this. Tell your significant other. Tell your brother-in-law. Tell anybody you know. Go show the guy outside that runs early in the morning with his little fanny pack and his overweightness and his shirt. Tell him about the podcast. Maybe he'll listen to it while he's running. We're always looking to expand. Another thing that we're going to ask of you, once again, collaborative environment, Spiral Music is a community, and we have a brand new community segment entitled The Listening Club. If you tuned in last week, you will have heard the overusing dulcet tones, but he is a lovely man in Jack, 108 Mics on YouTube, album.reviews with a Z on Instagram. So we took a deep dive into Why by the pop group. Uh, you can look forward to us uh, getting our scuba gear on again, diving once more. This week, our trench of choice is going to be Purple Mountains, self-titled offering. Give that a listen. DM your thoughts to uh, at Spiral Music, Spiral.Music, Spiral Period Music on Instagram uh, for a chance to be featured on our show, just like Civilian 42. Yo, shout out to Civilian 42, just like Civilian 42 was featured last week. With that... We've had some fun. We had a few laughs. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you've been lovely. Be sure to join us in the future and unwind.